Hello again. So I guess you figured out that I had a baby by now. Uh, you know, she surprised us all because Charlotte came a month early. You know, some of you guys kept asking, you know, when is she coming? Oh, she was already here. You didn't know it. You know, I remember the day that it happened. You know, there's just certain things that you always will remember. It was a Friday night. It was uh, Mar- uh, December 22nd. And uh, Carol came home from work. We both came home from work, different places. And she was extremely tired. And so the first thing she does is she goes to the bathroom. Now, I know you guys are thinking TMI, but this is kind of important to the story. So she, she goes to the bathroom, and then she goes, and she goes, John, I am so wiped out today. I'm so tired. And I'm like, well, why don't you just take a nap? You know, I'm getting up. I'm going to be leaving in about an hour. Take a nap. So she naps for like 45 minutes. She gets up, and I was going to a Bible study that I was invited to at Billy Ingersoll's house. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to head over there. And so she goes to the bathroom again, and then she's like, I am so tired. I'm like, just go back to bed then. I'll catch up with you later. So I leave. And I'm heading down. I live in Miramar, and I'm going to Miami Lake. So about halfway there, I'm on the Palmetto Expressway, and I get this phone call, and it's Carolina. And Carolina goes, uh, she goes, now, no, don't get alarmed. And I'm like thinking, what should I get alarmed? I hate it when people start a conversation like that, right? Don't get alarmed. And I go, okay, what's going on? She goes, I think my water just broke. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? The water broke. I'm thinking, this can't be right. This is, it's, it's four weeks early. I just left my house. It's the biggest disaster I've ever seen it in because I'm not done with her room. I was moving stuff out of the the baby's room into another room and half the stuff was in the living room. And then there was boxes of furniture that that wasn't put together yet. I'm like, this baby can't be coming right now. That's what I'm thinking in my head. You know, that's not right. And so I'm driving. I don't want the baby to come. I really don't because December 22nd is right next to December 25th. And what's that? Christmas, right? And what happens if your birthday is next to Christmas? Yeah, you get gypped on the presents. We all know it. That's what happens. We try to convince the person whose birthday is next. Oh, no, we'll give you the presents. Yeah, you'll get them all. But we all know that that's not true. And I'm like, I don't want that for her. Can't she wait like three more weeks, four more weeks when she's supposed to? And so she's like, well, I go, baby, come on. Now, how do you know it was your water? And she goes, well, I, you know, I, I've been going to the bathroom. I went when you came home, when you left, and I went like three or four times since then. And I'm thinking, I said, well, wait a minute. You know, you know, women, when they're pregnant, they have to go to the bathroom a lot. And, you know, the baby, I'm thinking, maybe she just like kind of wrestled your bladder a little bit. And she was like, letting go and squeezing, letting go. And it was like, you know, is he just rolling around in there? And so once in a while, you got to go. And she's like, no, no, I really think it is. I called a friend and she thinks it is. And I'm like, oh, gosh. I said, well, here. I'm going to Billy's house and his wife, Yvette, is a nurse. When I get there, what we'll do is I'll just ask, talk to her and then we'll see how it goes. So I continue on my way and I get to Billy and Yvette's house and I, and I kind of walk up to Yvette. She, thank God she was there and she was in her scrub still. She had just gotten home. I'm like, I kind of say quietly, hey, can I, can I talk to you over by the front door? Because there's a group of guys there and I don't want them to know. I don't want it to be like a false alarm, whatever. So I, I kind of bring her over to the door and I said, my wife said that, she thinks her water broke. She's like, what? Your wife's water broke? You know, and they hear it like two counties over. And I'm like, all right, okay, let me call her. And I put her on the phone and they're talking with each other. And so they're talking and she's like, yeah, I this, that, and the other thing. And I don't have contractions. I don't know, whatever it's going on. And I'm like, okay. And I kind of walk into the other room. Now the guys heard it. So they're all like, oh, wow, good. Congratulations. Here, eat some food. You know, and they give me some food and I'm there eating. And I'm still thinking this can't be happening. She's not supposed to come. I'm not supposed to, this isn't, this is not what I'm expecting at all, you know? And so 
uh, I'm there, I'm eating. And then she gets off the phone, Yvette comes back over to her and they're like looking at me and they're like, what are you still doing here? And I'm like, I was thinking maybe I'll just stay through the Bible study. Then I'll go afterward and get home. They're like, you can't do that. You got to go get in your car and go. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know, and they're pushing me out the door and I get in my car and I get home in time, of course. And we made it to the hospital and, uh, that's where the story's going to end for today. There's more to the story. It was a beautiful story, but you know, it was an awesome time. But here's the thing I was, I had, because I believe she was coming in four weeks. I had all these expectations, right? I was expecting that I was going to get the room done before she came home. I was expecting that I could stay through the Bible study at least. Come on, have some courtesy. I was expecting that Yvette was going to talk my wife down. Like, okay, baby, no, it's all right. If I talk to you, you won't have it right now. I'm like, maybe she'll talk her out of it, like having the baby, right? And, and then we'll get, then I'll just, we'll have it at the right time. And then that's what happens when sometimes we have a certain belief about something. It comes with expectations, you see, what we believe often affects what we expect. And uh, perhaps you've experienced this in your life too. Um, you guys had a good Valentine's Day a couple days ago, right? Not that long ago. Yeah. You guys don't sound like you had a good Valentine's Day. But that's okay. Because here's what happens. <laughs> you know, this is what happens on Valentine's Day, right? We believe that someone loves us. And so we expect they're going to give us a gift on Valentine's Day, right? Isn't that how it works? Now, husband, if you just got elbowed, you're like, I should have known this information before Valentine's Day. She thinks you love her. She expects a gift, right? That's how it works. We believe something. We expect something. I remember the first time I went to Columbia. I've been there two times now. And uh, the first time I went, I was telling my family, we're from the Northeast. And so, you know, they, they don't understand Latin countries like you guys understand them here in Miami. And they're like, John, you can't go there. It's not safe. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, there's all this stuff going on. All we know, all they know about is like two powders, a black one and a white one. It's either coffee or cocaine. That's it. That's all this comes from Colombia. And they're like, you can't go there. There's kidnappings. There's drug cartels. I mean, that's what you ever watch a novella. I mean, that's all they talk about. Isn't it? Isn't it true? And who, who saw Escobar recently? So a few Colombians here. And so we have this picture, dangerous place. We believe it's dangerous. So what are we expecting when we get there? And I got there and I'm like, you know, I'm like hiding all my valuables. I'm like hiding behind Carolina. Like she's Colombian. They won't touch her. But when I got there, it was amazing. It was a beautiful country. You know, and it was like, this isn't anything like what I expected. You know, how many times did it happened with a person maybe that you knew? You never, ever do that? You get, like, someone starts telling you a rumor uh, about somebody and like you hear that and you've never met them before. So you finally meet them and then you have a great time with them and you're like, wow, you're really nice. Right? And they're like, what did you expect? You're like, oh, well, I, nothing. <laughs> right? Because what we believe affects what we expect. And let's apply this principle to God for just a minute. What we believe, let's do this. Pull out your outlines, if you got them, that you were handed when you came in, and your pen. And I want you to fill in this statement. It says, what we believe about God affects what we expect from God. What we believe about God affects what we expect about God. And maybe you thought God was going to do something in your life at one point or another when it came to God, right? And uh, he didn't do it. And then what? There was disappointment. There was disillusion, disenchantment. You just felt dissed. You know, it was like whatever diss you can add on to that. And you thought God and you were on track. You were on track, but now nothing. See, our belief about God can have a major impact on our relationship with God. 
If you think that God is vengeful, right, then you'll be waiting for the payback. If you think God is loving, then you'll expect God to be loving to you. If you think that God is indifferent and distant, then you will expect God to really just kind of stay out of your life and not really do anything. If you think God is a rule maker, you'll think your relationship is about keeping the rules. And so what will happen is you'll tend to think that he cares more about keeping the rules than he cares about you. If you believe that God just wants your stuff, your relationship will be based on what you can give God. And you'll get disappointed and frustrated after a while because you keep giving to God and soon you're going to be running out of stuff to give him. And then you're always going to wonder, have I given enough? If you believe that God works on a reward system, you will expect rewards for doing well and you'll feel that you deserve them. And if he doesn't come through for you, you're thinking, God, you're, you're withholding on me. And that's why it's important to understand God as he is, as he truly is. Because when we understand God or how we understand God will determine whether we decide to do his things his way or not his way. If I have a poor expectation of God, I will not tend to move toward God. Will we? Neither, none of us will. You know, we won't stick it out in the tough times. And we'll most likely, when it comes down to it, choose our way over his. And here's the problem with that, though. When we choose our way over his, we are going to walk away from God's best in our life. And ultimately, if we do that, if we have a misunderstanding of who God is, we can walk away or miss out on God's story for us in our lives. That's just like what we're going to find out today about God's people in Israel. Listen, you guys have uh, your Bible or maybe you have an electronic device. If you want to get ahead, we're in Malachi and we're going to read chapter 2, the last verse, verse 17. In the story of Malachi, we're in a series called Covenant and it's promises made, promises kept. And it's about God's faithfulness in the covenants that God made with Israel. Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament. He comes at the very end. So like he's the last one of the Old Testament. If you're at Matthew and you hang a left, he's right there. He's the last one to come. And he came at a very interesting time in the history of Israel, just as they were really kind of regathering himself together. Now, most of us know kind of the history of Israel. If we don't kind of, we at least probably know at one time that they were slaves in Egypt, right? They were slaves in Egypt. And then this guy, Moses, took them out of Egypt and he took them through the desert and they made it to the promised land. And then in the promised land, for a few hundred years under the judges, they overcame the land. And then the reign of the kings came. And for a couple more hundred years, then the kings reigned. But during all this time, all this time, they worshipped other idols, other gods. They bowed down to other gods and they did whatever they wanted. And they did all sorts of stuff that went against what God had asked them to do. And so God is looking on at them and he says, man, I got to do something here. I've got to try to get them back on track. So he allows another nation called Babylon uh, to come and defeat them. The guy Nebuchadnezzar, you probably heard of him. King Nebuchadnezzar came and he defeated the people of Israel, and he takes them captive and he brings them back to Babylon and he leaves Jerusalem a wasteland. Israel is a wasteland now. The city's walls are torn down. The temple is gone. And they're in captivity for about 70 years. But after 70 years, they're allowed to return to the land. And a guy named Zerubbabel comes with them and he builds this temple. And the temple's like a shack compared to the other temple. But then Nehemiah comes and he comes and builds a wall back around the city. And they're really kind of rebuilding up and they're getting everything back together. And even though everything seems to be on the right track, Israel is struggling. Listen to what they say. Verse 17, 
Chapter 2 of Malachi says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, Malachi is telling them. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. For where is the God of justice? Listen, in your outline, let's start with this first point. It says, I will understand God God better when I begin with a realistic view of myself. When I begin with a realistic view of myself. I mean, it's pretty amazing, this verse that we just read. I mean, I can't believe what they're saying about God. Those who do evil, they're looking on and watching God bless other nations. And they're saying, you must love evil. And you delight in these people. I mean, can you imagine accusing God of that, right? Can you imagine accusing that? God, that he loves evil. Here's the thing. They thought they were good. That's why they were saying this. We, we think we're doing good. After all, we're living in God's country, right? We're back in God's country right now. And they're going to church every day. They're going up to the temple and they're bringing sacrifices. And they were bringing offerings. And they even had copies of the Bible somewhere. I mean, they didn't have a personal one, but they could read the scriptures when they wanted to read them. And they're like, hey, we're doing pretty good with God. And so they wondered why God didn't bless them. You see, they were struggling in the land. And the other surrounding nations are doing better than them. I mean, they just kind of built up the walls. The the temple's still kind of wimpy. and It's not what they want it to be. It's far from its former glory. And they're looking on at these other nations. These other nations, they don't even worship you. They don't even know you. They don't even care about you. And they're doing better than us. You must love this then. That's all we can assume is that you love evil and people who don't care about you. And you don't care about the ones who do. So they concluded that God is prospering the other people over them. I mean, I guess it kind of seems to make sense if you look at it from that perspective, but the problem was they started with a false view of themselves. That was the problem. They thought they were better than they were. This is actually the first time in their history where they are not worshiping other gods, is the truth of the matter. You see, you guys remember when Moses brought them out of Egypt? Right? He goes up on Mount Sinai. Maybe you saw Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, right? He goes up, he gets the Ten Commandments, he comes down, and what are they doing? They're worshiping a golden calf that they made. From day one, practically, they just kept worshiping all throughout their whole thing. And when he takes them to Babylon, they come back, they actually stop worshiping other gods. But here's what's happening. They're bringing the sick and the lame of their flocks to God. They're supposed to be the best to God. And they're like, here, um, see that one there? Let's bring that one. That one never keeps up with the flock, you know? And they take that one and they bring it up to God. They go, God, here's our sacrifice. And they're taking the lame ones and all the ones they didn't want. And their service was half-hearted. And they were cheating on their marriage vows. That's what we read last week. And they were exploiting the widows and orphans that were among them and the people that were under their employment. And they were lying to one another. And the stranger who had a need, they weren't caring about them. All these things were happening. And the list just kept going on. And really, that's the whole reason for the book of Malachi. they're, They're going down. Malachi comes and is sent by God to just show them how far off they really are. You guys are way off. You see, a realistic view of ourself is really hard to face. You know, there's a lot of things happening this week. Valentine's Day, my baby got dedicated. I had a birthday on Monday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I want you to know in first service, they almost started singing happy birthday. Don't get jealous. I'm just letting you know. But no, no, please. <laughs> but you know what? You know what another birthday means? Another year older, Right. And there's something that I don't like about myself. And every year it just gets worse. I have two wrinkles right here. (laughs) Right there. I can't stand them. 
And I go, baby, I hate these things. And she's like, oh, John, they're laugh lines. I mean, I'm like, laugh lines? Are the wrinkles? She's just trying to make me feel better. I remember the first time someone pointed them out. I actually only had one. And it was on this side, not on this side. And this little kid goes to me. It was like 10 years ago. He goes, hey, what's that mark on your face? And I'm like, what, you this scar back here? And he goes, no, no, no. That other mark. I'm like, it's a wrinkle. Okay. <laughs> but here, you know what I saw on TV? Or somewhere, I think it was online, whatever, the lifestyle lift, right? And I'm thinking, honey, look, I was telling her the other day, I'm like, honey, if I just look at just a tuck, just a little bit right here, just enough to get rid of the lines, not enough to make me look really bad, you know, but just enough. She's like, forget about it. You know, that's our tendency, right? Is to hide the things about ourselves that we don't like. That's why we get tummy tucks. That's why we get Botox. That's why we get uh, facelifts, all those things, because we're trying to hide a truth about ourselves. The truth is we're getting older. And there's nothing we can do about it. The same goes for our inward appearance, right? We don't like to think about it. In fact, we like to believe basically we're all good people. But the Bible tells us something different. Listen to what it says in John chapter 3. I provided it in your outline. It says, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the light or the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. See, it's verses telling us not only do we do evil, but then we try to hide it. We want to hide it. I mean, I guess if we were really honest with ourselves and really looked at ourselves, we would admit that we do bad things. I mean, we all have the propensity as humans to do bad. And Israel is thinking they were good. And when they thought they were good, they believed that they deserved something. When we think we're deserving, we will always expect something from God. We will always expect that. Listen to what it says in the scriptures, though. Uh, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give their people, give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. I don't like that verse. Come on, John. Why'd you read that verse? We don't want what we deserve. I mean, I know I've done some bad things and I don't really want what I'm supposed to get. I don't want what I deserve. But that's the whole point. When we begin with a realistic view of who we are, then we will begin to understand God better. We'll appreciate God and we'll stop expecting something for God and instead be grateful for the things that God does do in our life. And we'll understand maybe his mercy and his grace. Listen, if you have a hard time understanding God, it's probably because you don't see yourself clearly. You see, Israel's view of themselves was that, uh, believed that they were good. And so their conclusion, because their view of themselves was off, they drew a conclusion about God that was off. And so then they asked God, where is the God of justice? And God answered them. It's in verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord, an offering of righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, 
as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be swift, a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. The, the second thing in your outline, I will understand God better when I recognize that God wants his best for me. When I recognize that God wants his best for me. What I don't think Israel realized is that serving God was good for them. Keeping the commandments is about a relationship. And when we serve God, it is about devotion to him. And they began to see it as a tedious chore. And they were complaining. And, oh, I have to bring this now. And I got to do that. And you want the best of what? And they complained that it was a burden that they were serving God. And I guess, to be honest, we probably all at sometimes feel that way. I mean, there have been times I woke up and it's like Sunday morning again? One more time? I got to go out and do this? And so we all have the tendency to want to feel that way. But more than their service, God really wanted their hearts. Listen to this verse out of the Psalms. The psalmist writes this, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it to you. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. I, I, wanted to, I wrote it again in the message translation so that you would maybe see it a little bit differently. Maybe even what he's trying to communicate to Israel. It says, going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my, bride, when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. You see, God is less interested in giving them what they deserved than in getting their hearts. I mean, it's what he's always wanted. That's what God always has wanted from you and I. And so instead of getting justice, giving them justice, because we read who can stand, who can endure in the day of his justice, God sends them a savior. That's what the first verse is about. The Lord whom you seek, who you delight in, he will come, the messenger of the covenant. God says, yeah, you deserve judgment, but because I'm a good God and I want the best for you, I'm going to send you a savior. And despite their half-hearted devotion, God still wants the best for these people. You know, the other day, uh, last week, we took Charlotte out to dinner. Oreste, who attends our church, you might know him, Oreste Gonzalez came over to our house and we said, okay, we're going to go out for dinner. And we went, we decided to go to a local restaurant, like kind of in the neighborhood. So it was like a mile and a half away, really close. And so we thought, oh, we can go. And if anything's, you know, it's not a big deal, we can just make it right back. And so we pack everything up. And for some reason, my wife, I guess because she thought it was going to be really easy, she didn't pay, pack the, the baby bag, Right. So we get there, we get to the restaurant, we're enjoying it, we're sitting down and the baby's right near me and Charlotte's just hanging out. And then all of a sudden Charlotte starts getting a little bit irritable and, you know, we can't quiet her down. And so I, th- I said to my wife, you know, I'm going to pick her up and I'll just hold her and, uh, you know, you know, bop her on my knee, whatever it is. So I pick her up and I pick her up and my wife goes, oh my God, you know, and I'm like, what, what did I do? What did I do to the baby? You know, and I'm like, and she's like, look, and on the side of her thing. There was like this big patch of, you know, gook, right? All over here. And I'm like, oh my God, I touched it, you know? And then, so I, I'm like, baby, where's the diaper bag? She goes, I didn't bring it. I'm like, 
oh my gosh. All right. I'm like, I got this. And I threw her in the, 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 the baby seat and I ran to my car and I'm like, I'll be back. And I drove to the house and I got to the house. I take that apart. You ever been in a situation where um, suddenly you realize you're way over your head and it's like, <laughs> it's like poop everywhere. And it's like, it was on her back. It was all of her legs. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do. I'm getting all panicking, running back and forth from the sink to the the paper towels to the baby. And like, when I was done, I mean, the stack was like this high. And I just like wiped her down and wiped her down and wiped her down. And finally like, okay, I didn't even know I was going to get that onesie off without getting it all over her and everything. And here's the thing that, that clothing, right? The clothing now has this stain in it, you know, cause it's like yellow mustard. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. It's like all weird and it's in the clothes. And so you can't just put that in the washer. You got to like soak it and you got to wash it. So I put it in like a little tub with, with some clothes and I'd like, Hey baby, that's there when you get home. (laughs) But you, you got to wash it with something. So the other day we actually bought launderer's soap. We, we went to the store and they sell it in a bar because you got to wash it by hand. You got to scrub it. And when you rub, wash clothes like that, you got to rub the fabric against the fabric. It's not pleasant, you know, and it, it wears out the fabric and it's hard to do. It's very difficult. And God's using this example of launderer's soap about what it means to follow him. And, and he also uses this other illustration of purifying silver. Sil- purifying silver, you got to heat that thing up. You got to get it so hot that it melts. And when it melts, the silver is heavier than the other elements. So the other elements float to the top. They call it the dross or the impurities, right? And they keep that thing boiling hot and they keep scraping it off until all the impurities are gone. I mean, I'm sure if you're the crucible or you're the, the silver, you're not liking all that heat. It's a tough thing to go through. And that's the way it is sometimes. Israel wanted God's best. But God's using these examples to show them that God's way is not always easy. It's not always easy, God's way. But it is always the best way. And that's what they wanted. They wanted God's best. And they had come to believe that God didn't want it for them. That's what they thought. Yeah, you want it for these other nations. You want it for these evil people, but you don't want it for me. You don't want it for us. And because they believed that, that he only loved evil people, they tried to grab the blessing for themselves. They just wanted it for themselves. I went to uh, Italy a, a number of years back. So far in this message, I've gone to two different countries, okay? Now... When I, we, when I went to Italy, before I went, uh, my family, I went with about 10 people and, and they were warning me and they were telling me that there are gypsies when you get to Rome and some of these other places and the gypsies are trying to, to rob you. And, and mostly they're women and little girls. And so they do something like very shocking or something to kind of camouflage or distract so that they can pick your pocket. And so sometimes they might be like nursing a baby like right in front of you. So that you're kind of walking around, you don't expect it. And you're like, boom, what, what are you doing here? You know, and you just like, you're like kind of shocked. And that's when they, when you're shocked, that's when they, they get your, they get your money. Or they take like a cloth and they kind of like push it up against you. Like, hey, drop something on it or there's something there. And then, and what they're doing is they're covering you up from like here down. And then they're moving and bumping against you so you don't even feel it. If you got a purse down there, they'll take it. So I lagged behind the group at one point when we were in Rome. And they were all up ahead of me. And the next thing I know, I look up and I'm surrounded by like 10 little girls and a woman. You know, and they're all over me. And, you know, the little radar went off. And so they took the cloth and they pushed it right up against me. And I feel all this bumping around. And I feel like, and I'm like, I don't even know how they know which pocket the money's in, right? I feel the little hand and I reach down. I remembered my Jedi training just at that moment. What they... (laughs) 
what my master had taught me. And I grabbed it and I pulled it up. And there's a little girl right at the bottom of my hand, you know. And I'm like, and they all go, and they all start scattering, you know. And it's just at that moment that my aunt comes running after me. John, John, they're going to rob you. They're going to rob you. And I'm like, I got this one. I got this one. What, what those girls didn't know, what those gypsies didn't know, is like, I'm a pushover. And if they had asked me for the money, I would have been like, you, you girls are cute. Yeah, you need some money. I would have given them the money. They didn't have to take it for themselves. I would have just given it to them. You see, Israel, like these gypsies, decided that they were going to make the blessing happen for themselves. We're going to skip you, God. We're just going to make it happen. I mean, by giving their lame and their sick, they're weeding out their, 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 their flocks, and they're like, these are the blessings for me. That's you, God. I'm taking the blessings. Instead of giving you the best and letting you bless me, I'm going to take the blessings. I'm going to make it happen in my life. When it came to their money, they were like, okay, God, here's this one little one for you, and these are the blessings for me. And they were like, I will take the blessings. Instead of waiting on God when it came to their marriages, we read about it last week. Instead of waiting on God to do something, they thought, you know what? I'm just going to go around here and get a little blessing. You know what I'm saying? That's what they thought. And that's what they were doing. God's like, no, that's not what I had for you. That's not where the blessing comes from. What they didn't understand was that God wanted to pour out his blessing on them. That's what he really wanted. Next week, you guys are going to read this verse, but I put it in your outline, Malachi chapter 3. He says this, try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. God wants to bless them. God wanted so much better for them than what they were living right there. But they were choosing to bless themselves their way instead of stick it out in God's way. This is really important. I think you guys need to really think about this. I don't want you to miss it. You see, when I don't believe that God wants the best for me, when I don't believe that, then here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take the my choice over the God choice every single time. That's what's going to happen. And when I do that, I am going to leave his best behind me. Did you get that? You see, because God's way is not always easy, sometimes it's hard for us. Our tendency will be to make, my tendency, because it's not always easy, will be to take the John choice, not the God choice. Your tendency will be to take the you choice, not the God choice. But when we do that, when I do that, I'm walking away from God's best in my life. When you do that, you're walking away from God's best in your life because he's got a much better plan. And that is why God says to them, return to me. Let's read it. That's what he says in the next verses. Verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? To understand God better, to truly understand him. Number three, I believe that God is always faithful. I need to believe that God is always faithful. 
despite all that these guys were doing wrong, despite all the things that they weren't doing that God was asking him to do, God did not turn away from them. Even though they still refused to admit that they were doing wrong, they wouldn't even admit it. Like, yeah, we're not doing wrong, but I'm not even admitting. I still think I'm good. I still think I deserve something from you. And God is still waiting from wanting them to return. And he's asking them to return. This is what it says in 2 Timothy. If we are unfaithful, even when we are unfaithful, even when we won't admit it, even when we aren't doing what we're supposed to, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. Because God is always faithful. You know, the Bible is filled with promises about him for you and I. That he'll be there for us, that he will love us, that he will deliver us. I mean, that's what this series is all about. God keeping his promises. And he's coming back to say to them, look, we had a covenant. And even though you're not going to keep it, I'm still going to keep it. I'm still going to be there for you because that's what I do. Men don't keep promises, but God keeps his promises. Look at Numbers 23 in your outline. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He, has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Now, God has said it, but here's the question. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is faithful to bring those things to pass in your life if you trust him, if you follow him? And many of us will say, yeah, I believe in that statement. But are you believing it in your life? That's the important thing. This is where I believe that the rubber actually meets the road when it comes to our faith. There's kind of like believing faith. I believe that God, you know, died for my sins. I believe that the Son of God came for me. It's, it's a great message for us to hear. But the hardest faith, I think, is the everyday faith-filled walk that we trust God and what he said every single day. The Bible defines faith this way in your outline, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How is faith a substance? How is faith evidence? I can't see your faith. I can't see your heart. I don't know what you're thinking. You could say one thing and think something totally different. How do I know what faith is? Because faith is an action. Paul, the writer of this, goes on in the book of Hebrews in in chapter 11 to describe all the things that the patriarchs did, all the actions they took because they believed. By faith, Abraham went to a country that he didn't know because he believed God. There was no evidence for him to believe. He just went. And the evidence, the substance, was the action that he took. That's what our faith is. That's what the Bible really is all about. You know, I could probably sum up the Bible in one sentence. This is what I believe it would be. To believe God in what he has said. That's what the Bible is all about. How were the Old Testament saints saved? Because they believed what he said about bringing the sacrifices. How are you saved? Because we believe in what he said about his son. Every time they did well is because they believed God in what he said. And I say do it this way, and it's going to be a blessing to you, this will be the blessing. That's what it's all about. God wants us to believe in him, to put our faith in him, to put our trust in him, to put our everything in him. Believing when there is no reason to believe, that's faith. Believing when we don't understand everything, that's faith. 
No matter how we feel, Lord, I don't feel you here. I don't see you here. That is faith when we follow God, even when we don't feel it. We read that our heart is wicked and deceitful because our feelings, they could lead us almost anywhere. But just because we don't feel God is not there, he is still there. Just because we don't feel that the choice that we made, the God choice that we made is not working out, it's going to work out. That's why it's important that we believe he is faithful. The last book of the Bible is called the book of Revelation. It tells us what the end of the age is going to be like. like and Jesus uses this really kind of word picture that I think is really interesting. It's in your outline. He says, look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. He's like this picture of this guy. Think about it. The door is shut, right? The door is shut and he's knocking. I mean, how long is Jesus standing there? How long is God standing there knocking at the door? It's the end of the age. I mean, if we looked at it like chronologically, it's thousands of years. He's just standing there knocking. That's his faithfulness. His faithfulness. He never stops knocking. All we have to do is open that door. He says, return to me and I will return to you. You know, when I'm changing Charlotte's diapers sometimes, like she gets very irritable. She kind of gets uncomfortable and she doesn't like it. You know, what I'm doing to her right now may not seem that pleasant, right? And I suppose if I was her, this little baby mine, maybe I'm thinking that this big guy is changing my diaper. You know, he doesn't have my best in mind for me. But I know that changing her dirty diaper is the best thing for her in the end. Sometimes the path that leads to God's best can just seem that way. Like God taking out the dirt, God doing something in our lives and we're not like totally understanding it, but can we trust him when we do it his way? The God choice does not always seem the easiest, but it is always the best. If I believe that God is always faithful, then we'll stick it out his way when things aren't going well. If I believe that God is always faithful, then we'll trust him. We'll trust him in the circumstance, regardless of what we see. We won't settle for less than God's best because we believe he's faithful. Because if we stick it out to the end, that's when you get, you see his best in your life. Israel believed they were making the better choice for themselves. That's what they believed, right? They believed it over this selfish, unfair God who loves evil people. They're thinking he doesn't even care about us. They figured, listen, I've got to look out for my own interests. I got to look out for number one because God isn't. So they save the best for themselves. What I think is the irony that they failed to see is that they were choosing the best for themselves, but it wasn't satisfying them. That's why they're complaining to God. You love evil people because they weren't satisfied and they were keeping all the blessings they thought for themselves, everything, their choices, their choice in life instead of God's way. They were doing it that way and they were saying, because I see it, I see it clearly and if I just reach out and grab it right now, it can be mine instead of doing it God's way. And they find themselves holding it and it doesn't satisfy. It's not satisfying them. That's the funny part. They didn't even see that. No matter how much they tried on their own, they didn't get to the place that they really wanted to be 
that contented, happy, satisfied place in the presence of God. You see, they made decisions in their lives based on what they thought would bring them happiness. They didn't even realize that it's the God choice that does that. It's always the God choice that's going to bring you happiness in life. You see, the tedious task and service to God that they complained about, the sacrifices and offerings, they thought that that was all about God. But what they didn't realize were all those things were really about them and what God wanted to do in their lives. It was about them all the time. Listen, this is big, and I really don't want you to miss this. If I don't examine my heart, if I don't have a realistic view of who I am, and I don't believe that God has his best in mind for me, and I don't trust that God is faithful to bring that reality to pass, my perception of God will be off. And I will choose my way instead of his. That's what will happen. But if I analyze my motives and I trust that God has the best in mind for me and I believe that he is faithful to bring it to pass, then I will begin to make choices that are consistent with God and his will for my life despite what they appear to bring to me. Today, you might be feeling like Israel in some situation of your life. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your singleness. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your family or maybe it's your purpose in life. But could you consider for one moment that you might be just one God choice away from his best? You might be just one no away or one yes to something. You might be one commitment away from God's best. One thing that you maybe have to stop doing Or one thing that you maybe have to start doing in your life. Because you make the God choice. Listen, if everything that we heard today is true, if it is true, wouldn't it be worth it for you today, despite what you see, to let go of your choice? Whatever it is, no matter how painful it is, no matter how difficult it is to do that, no matter how scary no matter how doubt-filled or faith-filled, wouldn't it be worth it today if you decided you were going to trust God and make the God choice and choose his best and not leave it on the table and walk away from it? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, because it's so true. You're you're faithful even when we don't understand it, even when we don't believe it, even when we're not faithful. No matter what it is, Lord, you're constantly there. Just as it says, you remain knocking at the door for us to always open the right choice, the God choice in our lives. Lord, I know you want to bless everyone here and give them your best. And I know, Lord, that we're going to find it when we follow you. And that's my prayer today, that each of us would make the God choice in our lives every day, every way. Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone here. And I, right now, I just like to ask everyone to keep their eyes closed and your heads bowed for a moment. Because maybe there's somebody out here today 
It's not just a small choice in your life, but it's like a big God choice in your life. Maybe you've been wrestling with this whole thing about God. Or maybe you play around with God. You think, well, you know, I kind of know God. I kind of think I know him, but I don't really know him. And I keep thinking I'm going to do that someday. I hope from today's message you understand that God wants to give you the best that he has for you even now. Not waiting 20 years from now, not waiting 30 years or even 10 days from now, but right now. That God wants you to make a choice where you receive that guy who's knocking at the door. The one who's been knocking on the door of your heart since you were born. His name is Jesus. God, that verse that cries out, return to me and I will return to you. You know, it's so funny with my baby. I looked at her and the first thing I said to her was, what was it like to be with Jesus just now? I mean, I'm guessing. The Bible says he knew you in your father's womb or your mother's womb, excuse me. He already knew you then. Do we know God? Did we know God? Because there was always an aching in my heart throughout my life that something that was saying to me, I have to get back to a place where there was peace, where there was understanding, where there was something that I had with God that I don't have now in my life. That's what drew me. I'm like, I want that. Where is it? And I talked to baby Charlotte. She didn't give me the answer, but I can give you the answer. It's waiting on the other side of the door right now. If you right now feel that God is knocking on your heart, I want you to raise your hand. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. So many people in this, in this room today have made the choice to follow Jesus, receive him as their Lord and Savior and live with him forever and get the best choice that he ever could make, that God would give you his best. He gave his best for us all, his son who died in our place. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. Keep it up in the air for a minute, just for a minute. See your hand. God bless you. That's what I'm going to do. We're going to sit. We're going to pray. We're going to pray right now. We're basically going to open that door. We're going to open the door and allow Jesus into our hearts. And it's just a simple prayer. And it's not a magic formula. It's not a way that it's not a, it's not a, uh, you know, certain words that have to be said a strict way. It's simply a prayer that says, God, I want you to come inside. If that's you, I'm going to ask all of us just to repeat this prayer, all of us together, out loud. Then I want you to pray that out loud, but I want you to mean it in your heart and invite Jesus in today and make the best choice you can ever make. So repeat after me. Lord God, I open my heart and I invite you inside to be my God, my Savior, and my friend. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean, for I've decided this day to follow you. From this day forever, I am yours. Help me, God, to follow you every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.